Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Kitchen War Podcast. Uh, not an episode number, just a, a group discussion. Another, uh, I, I've been calling them multi-tap so far. I don't know <laughs> if that's what the official name's going to be, but uh, that's that's been what I've been calling them at this point. Uh, this is a podcast that's going to be about Gun Gun Pixies. This is a uh, it was a PlayStation Vita game. I think it was released in like 2015 or sometime back then. Uh, but it recently, well, recently, about last year, uh, it came out on the Switch with an English localization. And uh, it's from a developer called uh, Shade, and they're kind of a developer with a history. So I went ahead and decided to bring on uh, Pete Davidson with MoGamer.net to the podcast. Hi, Pete. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. How are you? Doing good. Thanks. Um, and you actually wrote like a, a, a full history of, uh, of Shade at some point. So I was kind of curious, like what exactly got you into their games? Like what was the particular game you started with with them and why you kind of continued to explore their games over time? Yeah, sure. So um, for those of you not familiar with my site, My Rare Gamer, what I tend to do as a format uh, is I do what's uh, what I call a cover game feature, which is where I pick uh, a game or series and then I explore that in great detail over the course of usually four or five articles. But um, at the time of recording, I'm, I'm actually doing the whole Atelier series, so this is going to be a very long-term feature. But um, yeah, for, uh, for Gun Gun Pixies and also uh, a game which I covered alongside it called Bullet Girls Fantasia, um, they specifically attracted my attention because of the developer. And I forget the original context in which I sort of discovered uh, who Shade were, but I think it was when Gun Gun Pixies was first announced. And I thought, that name Shade sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? And, and I went and did a bit of research and fell down a bit of a rabbit hole, as you do. And um, <laughs> I do that a lot. But um, yeah, I, d I discovered that, that Shade is a company that's, that's actually been around in one for form or another for quite a long time. And they have their origins in a uh, another company from the 16-bit home console era uh, known as Quintet. Um, and Quintet were the company who made um, Actraiser, is probably their most well-known one for Super NES. And then they went on to make what's known as the Heaven and Earth trilogy, which is uh, Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, and uh, Terranigma. So those are all very sort of well-regarded games on the Super NES era. And then as far as most people were concerned, Quintet sort of fell off the face of the planet after that. A lot of people don't really make the connection between uh, Quintet and what they did a bit later. Um, but but one game that I was very fond of in the PlayStation 1 era uh, was a role-playing game called the Grandstream Saga, which it turns out was developed by Shade, and it's the sort of unofficial fourth installment in the Heaven and Earth trilogy, so it's a successor to Terranigma in a lot of ways. And then uh, Shade then went on to do uh, Orphan, Sign of Sorcery, which is one of the, I think it was a launch PS2 game, and one, certainly one of the first games I played on PS2. And most recently, they've made the uh, the Bullet Girl series, and Gun Gun Pixies. And I just thought that was a really interesting trajectory for a developer to take. Um, and the fact that they that they sort of disappeared as far as most people were concerned at the end of the Super NES era. But in fact, they're still doing stuff today in one form or another. Do you know when the, the change in name happened? Like between, you know, when Shade itself was founded between like Quintet and, and you know, when they switched over to Shade as a developer? Yeah, it was it was shortly after Terranigma. Um, so so Ter Ter Terranigma came out and then um, uh, what happened was the graphic designer Koji Yokota left Quintet to form his own development company and he took a bunch of Quintet people with him, uh, including one of the Quintet co-founders, uh, Tomoyoshi Miyazaki, who had written the three Heaven and Earth games. Um, so he, he'd taken some sort of really key staffers with him to form Shade. So, so basically, Shade 
uh, was the core of Quintet. Quintet did carry on and do a few things until the early 2000s. So they did um, they did a PS2 adaptation of the Inuyasha manga and anime. I think that was the, that was the last thing they did. But yeah, they they sort they sort of quietly disappeared after that. But Shade carried on doing things from there. Gun Gun Pixies was really the first time I had even noticed the developer's name. But when I um I was aware of Quintet, I've actually only ever played Actraiser of the, that old series of games. But um, but uh, I actually when I was looking at their um developer credentials previously i saw they actually made onslaught which is a uh, a WiiWare shooter that was published by hudson soft <laughs> and it's kind of weird because I, I looked at onslaught and then i looked at bullet girls and there's actually quite a few similarities of being like kind of a wave-based shooters um and then i i don't know if bullet girl fantasia has this but the at least bullet girls 2 has like these little tents where like characters keep spawning out of and there's just like you have to sit there and shoot them till they explode. And it's like a weird amount of health that they have. And it's like Onslaught is the exact same thing. of just <laughs> shooting at this thing for way too long. Um, but yeah, Onslaught was kind of, kind of a weird thing, but uh, it's, uh, it was kind of surprising to see how Bullet Girls Fantasia and Bullet Girls kind of reminded me so much of that older WiiWare shooter they did. So, so that was kind of my history with it, but I, I definitely don't have the breadth and depth of it that, uh, that you have um i would really recommend people go read your um your history article on on shade i'll definitely link it in the the podcast notes for that um but gun gun pixies is kind of a i would say a very different game than their other shoes that they made with uh, bullet girls it's um it has shooter elements to it but it's it's to me it's more of an adventure game in a lot of ways um because a lot of it is exploration focused and um I guess you could say it's kind of puzzle solving to some extent. Not really. It's, it's, I guess it would might make more sense to like talk about the structure of the game first. Um, it's, you're basically these little, little pixie girls and, uh, you go around, uh, these rooms and there's these giant, uh, or normal sized girl dorms, I guess, or girl girls in the dorm basically. And, um, and they're basically there to, to study these people. But as things go wrong and like disrupt the dorm life, they have to, uh, investigate these problems that show up and try to resolve them so they can observe a normal girl in the dorm life, basically. Um, and so shooting the girls is almost like like an information-finding part of the game initially because really what you do is you, you like shoot them in their different body parts, and when you do that, uh, it makes them talk about their problems, if I recall correctly. It's actually been a little bit since I played this, but, but yeah. And um, and so you like do that part where you you kind of get information from all the different girls about this issue they've run into, and then you explore the environment in a very kind of like chibi robo kind of way of like jumping around the furniture, getting on dresser drawers and things like that, and um. And then finally, once you found the the issue, uh, at some point there's like these squids that show up, and you kind of just have to kill them randomly if just in in your way. Or sometimes they'll be like, "Hey, kill all these," and then you can move on in the objective. Story wise, it culminates into like a critical point at, in some way. We're like, "Oh, this girl who has been on a diet uh, is starving herself essentially," and and she basically goes crazy with this, and you basically shoot her to shoot some sense into her <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, so so sort of the the narrative context of all that is that the um the the, the pixies are armed with what they call happy bullets, uh, which are 
basically attempts to sort of release endorphins and that sort of thing and make people feel more relaxed. So those boss battles are framed as um, sort of the, the, the girls are really uh, wound up and tense about something that's been really bothering them or something. And bit by bit, you're sort of relaxing them and encouraging them to sort of think about things from a more detached and rational perspective and that sort of thing. One thing I think that's worth uh, considering with regard to Gun Gun Pixies is actually something that is fairly common with um, Japanese developers who are working on the more sort of low budget side of things and kind of flying under the radar a bit. And that is that they tend to get a bit more experimental with game structure and what we regard as the traditional balance between gameplay and story. And Gun Gun Pixies is actually a really good example of that, I think. So... Gun Gun Pixies is a game that kind of it, it looks like a third person shooter but as you say it's 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 really not a third person shooter it's not the same kind of game as the Bullet Girl series. And there've been lots of different examples of this sort of game over the years. So um some things that I've covered in the past on Moe Gamer include um there's a game called Acelia the Eternal which is a it, it's a strategy RPG but the first 6 hours of it are a slice of life high school visual novel. Um, and then it just it just completely goes absolutely crazy after that initial sequence. Um, mm. And then there's a lot of particularly early visual novels um, that disguise their core nature as a linear narrative with adventure game and puzzle mechanics. So if you look back at a lot of early Eregay in particular, stuff like Nocturnal Illusion and Three Sisters Story and that sort of thing, those are presented mm-hmm. like adventure games. So like you have a, a bunch of verbs you can click on and a bunch of hotspots you can click on. They're still visual novels, but they provide mm. the illusion of interactivity through these um, sort of game-like mechanics, I guess. And Gun Gun Pixies is basically doing the same thing with its action sequences. So they're not the focus of the game at all, but they are... A means to an end there are means to explore the story there are means to explore the world a bit um but the main point of gun gun pixies uh which i i think a fair few people missed in their reviews of it is is the 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 story side of things it's basically a visual novel that is punctuated by these action sequences yeah and they kind of do an interesting way of mixing the two because you know you are these tiny pixie girls but so there's like a very well pixie girls from space essentially so there's like a sci-fi angle to it to to some extent like kind of the main backdrop of this game is that like buildings are being taken away and like what ultimately ends up being is that they're being like shrunken and taken so there's like this weird technology that you know normally wouldn't be used in a in a normal you know real world situation but the actual story regarding the characters is all very grounded uh it's all about these relationships these ships these characters have and all the problems that they face are in relation to their own interpersonal things not really anything to do with the sci-fi part they do kind of you know meet at some point at the very end um but a lot of it is coming down to i feel like uh acceptance is a big part of it yes, like accepting definitely. uh you know your body uh there's a there's a particular story between some of the sisters at the end that i think is actually really good it's uh it's kind of about whether or not blood is important in some way which i which i kind of like um and how they present that is uh i'd say different than most other games that kind of deal with that kind of like i don't know if adoption is the right word but like you know bringing somebody into your family who isn't actually a part of your family kind of thing one thing I do like about this game is I like 
I like smart use of space in games. So basically, what am I? I'm not a big fan of open world games usually, usually because I feel like it's a lot of wasted space in games. Yeah, same. Um, and Gun Gun Pixies is very, very focused. I, if I recall correctly, it's just three rooms. Yeah, that's right. Uh, throughout the entire game, and I think overall they probably could have more variety to these rooms. Uh, they do kind of change the environment a little bit. I remember there's some things that move around, uh, but it's very, very light. Um, but what I like what this does is it kind of makes you learn the best paths to get around a room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause there's a lot of like, <laughs> I don't know if this is really a fun part of the game, but there's a lot of money collection in the game. You, every time you enter a room, you can go and collect all the money. And you know, if you get enough money, it like basically ranks you at the end based off your time, how much of these flying coins you collect in the environment. And uh, it's a little repetitive, but a lot of it feels very almost like a speedrun mentality of I'm going to find the most effective way to collect these coins every time I come back to this room kind of thing. And and I like that focus design of the of the level structure quite a bit. I think if we if we um sort of uh, kind of branch out our perspective to thinking about other media as well. I think a lot of people sort of assume that video games they should always be moving forwards and moving on and that sort of thing. But if we think of sort of other storytelling media it's not at all uncommon for um films and stage plays in particular to take place in a very limited environment um and i think to to a certain extent that's that's one of the things that gun gun pixies is trying to do it's trying to give you um a very sort of strong feeling of attachment to this place and of understanding why it's important to the characters and by by limiting those environments for you to explore, yes, it does make the game a bit more limited. And yes, you are sort of doing the same things over and over a bit. But you get to know those areas really well. You get to know all the little nooks and crannies of where they hide things. And yeah, you get really attached to the environment in that. And I think it's 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 sort of the same kind of um, the same kind of reason that some films uh, take a take a very tight focus on a couple of characters, and a lot of stage plays use either very abstract or completely absent set sometimes. In in thinking about how that how that space is so focused, um, one thing I, I I do wish they did a little better was uh, maybe create a greater challenge within that space. Though, mm-hmm. yeah. um, one thing that you know it isn't focused on the shooting part of the game, that's for sure. Um, and some of the some of the sections aren't really you know intended to be challenges. Like I think there's like, these squid viruses that appear, and every time they show up, um, they kind of just kind of sit there and they spin a little bit. They, they kind of attack you, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're more just target practice. And if you look at like bullet girls two in particular, uh, that game is fa- fairly similar of just like a lot of the characters just like stand around and you basically just go and shoot them, which um, with bullet girls, Fantasia, it seems like everything kind of chases you in that game uh, and more of like a wave base kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, it does become, and same with like, you know, collecting money and stuff. It does become a little mindless in that regard of just like shooting these little squids and stuff. They're cute. Um, um, but there are some ones where it's like, and this kind of, you know, works into moving around the space again. There are some where it's like, hey, you need to kill all these squids in the environment. And so there is like periods of time where you have to kind of find these nook and crannies of the room that aren't typically um, 
you don't typically go across. Uh, so like you'll find a little squid like in the little tiny corner on the top of the room. And you have to find these like warp doors. It's like all the little outlets in the room where mm. they, you know, power outlets. Uh, they're like almost act as warp points and stuff. And they spit you out at different parts of the map. Um, and so there's a little bit of like puzzling out that kind of uh, pathfinding in it as well. Um, and then during the the I guess what you'd call the major selling point of this game, the the parts where you're actually shooting the girls, uh, the boss fights. Um, uh, it's it's challenging in some ways because I guess it's probably good to describe how the boss fights work in the first place. Is that basically the girl is in the the room doing like a series of actions, and then while they are. Um, while they're doing these actions, like different, I guess you'd call them like emotions that almost like fall off of their body in yeah. some ways yeah. <laughs> that act as projectiles. So it's like, here's the depression emotion falling out of them. It's like these purple balls that just roll across the floor. And then like the tears will like shoot at you like a machine gun from the eyes. It's kind of a, a strange, <laughs> strange mechanic of the game. And uh, as time goes on with like, I think there's a, probably a dozen or so of these fights, if I recall correctly, because I think mm. some of the girls you do it multiple times with. Um, as you go on, these like projectiles become more and more um, numerous. And uh, and with how the environment works in that game and how the camera get, can get like stuck in the environment, it can be a little difficult to dodge uh, all that stuff. But, um, but uh, yeah, so you're basically dodging these things while you're shooting individual parts of their body. So things like their hands, their arms, their boobs, their butt, things like that. And um, and then once you max all those out, that's essentially well max out the meter on them as you shoot them with happy bullets. That's kind of considered the the win state. Um, and unfortunately, I think that part of the game kind of is trivialized a little bit because uh, there's like these little power points on the floor that you can use to like power up your shots. So it like encourages you to go to like specific locations to shoot these girls. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but they're also healing points. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. you can kind of like stick on top of them and just <laughs> just keep shooting. And then if they hit you, it's not really like a big deal. You can basically just heal yourself again. Um, but I, I do really like those, those, those boss lock components because I don't really know of anything else that plays quite like that um, in terms of, you know having to to kind of find different places in the environment to best shoot these this girl uh you know from different angles and stuff like that and that's kind of also you know worked into navigating the room um because then you can find like the best places to to sit there and like shoot them with the the happy bullets and stuff like that yeah the the closest equivalents i can think of are um there's demolition girl on playstation 2 in which you're fighting a giant woman in a helicopter um, you, you're in the tiny helicopter, and she's a giant woman stomping oh, yeah. around. Oh um, yeah, simple series. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, that's probably one of the most well-known ones in the simple series. Um, and then there's also um, Mr. Mosquito, also on PS2 mm-hmm. as well, which is a very similar sort of idea to this. So you're you're a tiny thing in a normal size environment, and there's people in there, and you've got to do things to the people. So they, yeah, those are sort of the closest equivalents I can think to this. Um, I actually found after a while that. Um, although what you say with the with the super points is correct um what i actually found after a while is is just using the rapid fire guns and sort of running around actually proved more effective than sitting in one place because you you can still get hit while you're on those super points you can just heal yourself yeah. but if you, but if you keep moving and shooting with the rapid fire gun then you can you can actually get the the encounter done with just your normal shots almost more quickly in some cases so you actually don't have to use them at all and yeah it, the design could be a bit better in in some places but i mean as as we've sort of already talked about these action sequences are almost incidental to the main story so yeah yeah 
and like I definitely like towards the end of the game, definitely um, you know stopped using those points nearly as much because of the rapid fire thing. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. There's like the single shot guns. Were you ever able to get those single shot guns to be useful for anything, or the ones? No, nope, never, um, never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I tried it once, and it was the longest boss fight I ever had. Because uh, even when they're powered up, they just take like thirty billion years. So obviously, uh, Gun Gun Pixies is a very um, uh, suggestive game <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, so one thing we, we kind of really talked about is as you shoot these girls, um, uh, they essentially like get all, all flustered looking, blushing, and their eyes are like rolling back in their head and things like that. Uh, very suggestive in the way you would expect it to be. Um, but I think what's kind of interesting about the game is that even though that sexual presentation is is a big part of this game, um, it uses its sexuality to almost like build a, I guess like a different focus of the game that you typically have. Like something I try to think about is um, what is Gun Gun Pixies without the sexual elements kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And and to some extent, I think you could look at that game and say, you know, it doesn't necessarily need that extra flair of the, the you know, the girls uh, essentially orgasming uh, at that point. But at the same time, I also don't know how you come to the conclusion of the design of Gun Gun Pixies. And I think what I mean by that is um, one game I, I've always really liked that kind of is a good mix of like sexual gameplay and mechanics is Aqua Cube. Because Aqua Cube is basically this puzzler game where you have to go underwater and solve these puzzles, and um, and you're saving your your sibling, and so you're like underwater, and while they're underwater, they're they're drowning. Um, but one thing uh, you can do is go and basically deliver oxygen to them by going, you know, doing mouth to mouth and giving them oxygen. Mm -hmm. But the mechanics of the game actually change when you swap. So you're originally the brother, and you're you're going and giving oxygen to the girl, um, and then. If, it will actually swap in the second half of the game where the brother's underwater, but the girl's giving um, the brother air. And uh, the brother gets very excited by his sister. <laughs> and so it makes him consume oxygen faster. So it changes the mechanic of the game of when you give him oxygen, it's like only 10 seconds worth of oxygen. And if you give him any oxygen before he is even close to that low amount, uh, it actually is instant death, basically, because he can't survive longer after that. Um, so I thought that was like a really cool part of the game that was like informed by the um, sexual preference of the character. Mm. Um, and so Gun Gun Pixies, I don't really don't feel like really has that. But in terms of like the dorm style storytelling, like this this story about these these college girls in the dorm and their their personal relationships, um, I don't know if you'd ever like come to that conclusion if you were making something that was not based around this concept i think i think part of it in the case of gun gun pixies is as you say that the dorm focus is you're seeing these girls um not at their best in a lot of cases so you, you're, you're seeing these girls that they're, they're not going out they're not trying to sort of present themselves in a glamorous way to anyone they're just hanging out at home and that means that they're sort of wearing their frumpy pajamas and sort of wandering around and just sort of doing things that they do when they think no one's watching and that sort of thing. And I, th I think that sort of unglamorous side of things ties in with the sexual side of things as well, because in a lot of ways, by, by playing the part of the Pixies, you're, you're sort of acting as a bit of a voyeur on these on these girls' lives. And that, that's, sort of, that's sort of the whole point. They're, they're supposed to be observing what these girls are doing and how their interpersonal relationships work and that sort of thing. And I think... 
part of understanding that is recognizing and being honest about the fact that people aren't always glamorous people aren't always sort of perfect at all times and 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 that sort of thing and i think yeah i think it's more a sort of presentational side of things that that relates to the narrative rather than anything that particularly ties in with the gameplay as such yeah and i think the point i'm kind of trying to make with that is that like i don't think this game exists without that at the same time though like Mm -hmm. even though it's tied into the presentation um and not so much the mechanics of the game this game wouldn't exist in the way it exists without that. Yes. That part. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing. One thing I do think, and this is more of a, a little <laughs> personal peeve of mine, is is one thing that I do think the sexual element does kind of take away from the game is um, the clothing in it. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't know how you feel about clothing in games, Pete, but I love clothing in games. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, and and there is a lot of underwear in this game. If yes. you love lingerie. You'll be you'll be into this. Um, some of it, not even lingerie. It's like a lot of like chocolate drops and stuff on their body and <laughs> things like that. Um, but I remember uh, Schoolgirls Zombie Zombie Hunters is another game that I had this problem with. It was like basically, as far as I could tell, there's really only two at least easy to get outfits for the girls in Gun Gun Pixies for the main the the Pixies specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then everything else is underwear. <laughs> and and you know it's nice that you know when. As you take damage and stuff, your clothes rip off, so so you do see the underwear. Uh, but I would say most of the time in this game, you're not really taking much damage, um, except for like if you're on doing the boss fight and like standing on that super powered point or something like that, and just like eating the hits while you recover. Um, so I do feel like the underwear is a little underutilized because it's almost always covered up. Although it does do the thing where if you crawl on the ground. Uh, you basically just get the straight shot right up their skirts. <laughs> and it's like, there's no way to avoid it. That is just what you're staring at while you're playing this. <laughs> that made some people really angry when they reviewed it. It was hilarious. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but but yeah. So I feel, I feel kind of conflicted about that. But I think that's that on the same side, though, if somebody was into lingerie and stuff like that... Um, they probably would be pretty happy with gun gun pixies yeah uh, in that regard i think one nice thing one nice thing is when you beat it um you get to change some of the costumes on the on the large girls as well so you get you get to sort of swap yeah. their costumes around and that sort of thing that's quite a nice touch i think but yeah it could, it could do with maybe a few more costumes and there are a few bits of dlc but from what i can tell most of them are um just sort of swapping the heads on the main characters to make them look like oh. the other girls um yeah but they're, 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 I, last time I looked, anyway, it's been a while since I looked, but last time I looked, I don't think there were any actual other costumes for them. Was that DLC actually DLC on the Switch version, or was that only yeah, 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 Vita's yeah. downloadable? Yeah, you can get it on the eShop. Okay, gotcha. I thought that it, I, I was thinking maybe it would be included already, since I think, because the game originally came out in like 2015, right? On yeah, the, that's right. Uh, yeah. The Vita, so yeah. So one thing that actually was, was kind of fun in this game, too, is um, it's a, published by Cumbile Heart, and so... Uh, Neptunia and what's her name? Noir? Noir. Yeah. Is that her name? I have not played many Neptunia games. I think I've <laughs> played Blanc versus Zombie, and that's literally it. <laughs> um, uh, but I was kind of surprised because uh, whenever the game came out on Vita, they actually you know showed that there was the um, the crossover into the game, but they're actually worked into the story as like a pretty, I guess, major part of the story. You could say uh, they're they're kind of a big part of what resolves the end conflict of the game. They There's this whole, like, thing where Neptunia leaves her save data that that gets deleted or something. You have to restore her save data and stuff like that. 
it's a it's a fun little thing. I was I was surprised just like how much they built that into the game. I was expecting it to just be like a, oh in the extra mission section you could go go do this. So I thought that was really fun. Yeah, they worked it quite nicely into the story as well because what Neptune and Noir are basically doing in the chapter that focuses on them is that they're basically doing the same thing as the two pixies are doing, uh, but with the with the other girls sort of aware of their existence so they're 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 also observing what these girls are up to and how they exist and how they live together and that sort of thing um but the other girls are aware of them unlike the pixies so yeah that that was an interesting sort of parallel thing going on there as well one thing i'm curious to get your thoughts on um is uh the two main characters of this game is Beaton and I think Kamepon. That's right. Uh, yeah. One being kind of like bunnyish, and the other one being kind of turtleish, if I if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're very uh, <laughs> Beaton in, in particular is like very very horny. Uh, she is all excited to get in the girls' bathroom and stuff. I guess one thing to mention too is that actually there's these bath scenes. I completely forgot about this, um, where you go and you like get extra money by climbing on the girls while they're in the bath. Um, but, uh, yeah, Beton's very, very interested in the, the girls and stuff. And so one thing that I was kind of curious on your thoughts are on were, um, is I feel like the fact that Beton is a girl makes it a bit more acceptable how horny is. Do you, do you feel that that's how people feel about that? Cause I, I feel like people joke about it more, but if it was like a guy character, I wonder if it would come off more skeevy in some ways. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think there's 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 a lot more sort of acceptance of uh, sort of yuri horny, horniness in Japanese games than there is mm. of uh, a horny male character, even though there have been great examples of horny male characters being used to explore interesting things. So like a, a slight tangent, but a really interesting example that everyone misunderstands in this case is there, there was a game uh, by, oh, what are they called? Uh, Imogy Puck a while back called Time in Eternity. And the, the, the main character in that, um, he basically, he gets murdered on his wedding day, but he gets reincarnated as this little dragon and then has to sort of solve his own murder and that sort of thing. Um, but he, he is horny as anything throughout the entire game because he's <laughs> he's trapped in this little dragon's body and he's forced to mm. basically fly, fly alongside his wife-to-be. And you can imagine in that situation, you got murdered on your wedding day, you can imagine the blue balls you would have at that point <laughs> <laughs> and 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 everyone kind of missed the point of that and they were like oh the protagonist all perverted and disgusting and that sort of thing but it's like yeah. no think of the situation he's in and that's completely understandable in the case of gun gun pixies yeah i i, I love b10 and i think i think her horniness is um it ties in with sort of the backstory of the two of the two main characters so sort of the the, the backstory of the whole thing the reason why these two pixies have been sent to Earth is um, because their home planet has kind of forgotten how to do interpersonal relationships and that's causing their birth rate to decline and that sort of thing because no one is interacting with each other if they don't need to. No one is developing relationships with one another. And Bitan and Kamipon were picked for this mission because they are some of the only people on that home planet to have a genuine connection and friendship with one another. And I think Beatan's horniness is an important part of that. So Beatan recognizes and understands when she's attracted to someone or something, and she is willing to express that. And that is something that the the people back on their home planet have forgotten how to do. They've forgotten how to understand their own desires. They've forgotten how to recognize attraction to other people. So Beatan is kind of a sort of a manifestation of that side of things and how it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's it's sometimes a desirable thing to recognize your own desires and to 
explore them and express them. And it does take Kamipon a long time to accept that, I feel like. Uh, it, that's kind of like the ending arc of the game, is Kamipon being <laughs> kind of okay with the, the relationship she has with Viton, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> um, although it does very much do that thing at the end where like Viton's like, Oh, Kamipon, I love you. And then she's like, uh, has puts the wall up at the very end. <laughs> Anyways, so... Yeah, cool. Well, I do like to give like a a five-minute period at the end of a podcast to talk about any game that you might feel like you don't often get a chance to talk about. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm doing an extensive mega feature on the Atelier series at the minute. And the more recent installments in this are reasonably well-known now. So sort of especially with stuff like Atelier Riser uh, got a lot of attention for various reasons and has been one of the more popular installments in the series. But what I've decided to do is go right back to the first ones which got localized over here, which were the PlayStation 2 games, okay. the, Atel- the Atelier Iris series, uh, which don't get talked about a whole lot these days, uh, but they are fascinating games. And there's a lot um, a lot in these games that you can see in the modern Atelier games. I think probably the most, uh, probably the most important thing that's kind of carried across in the entire series is um the feeling of world building Mm. so a lot of atelier games take place in a relatively small geographical area so an atelier iris is 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 no exception so there's there's relatively few different areas to explore but they are full of life they are full of interesting non-player characters to talk to Uh, each of the shopkeepers has their own little side story for you to explore and as you craft items with them and buy stuff from them you'll advance that storyline and they're all interconnected and that sort of thing and yeah it's just a a wonderful way of making you really feel like you're part of a world and Mm -hmm. it just fascinates me playing a game like this that the a a game like this that has a much more sort of linear storyline and is relatively more restrictive than your average sort of open world game that you get today um like mm-hmm. so, sort of like skyrim is my go-to example for this skyrim has mm-hmm. a beautifully presented world that is incredibly boring to explore because yes no one in skyrim has anything interesting to say um yeah. whereas you look at atelier iris this has a handful of locations to explore but everyone you speak to has something interesting to say everyone you speak to has their own personality their own name their own motivations and that sort of thing and it it just really goes to show that Sometimes having a tight focus rather than trying to be as sprawling as possible really works to a game's benefit. Does the scale differ quite a bit from the uh, compared to like the PlayStation Three releases? Because I I feel like that's when the series started to get kind of a more visible cult following until you know more recently. Most most Atelier games have kind of taken a sort of hub based approach where you have kind of a, a, a main um, a main base, which is where mm-hmm. you, you sort of a, a lot of the story happens. And most of the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 ones adopt that model where you sort of live in a particular location and you go out to different places. Um, mm-hmm. The PlayStation 2 games actually in some ways feel a little bit more like traditional RPGs than some of the later ones uh, in that you're kind of traveling around a bit more of a world. But they're still relatively small scale. Um, so that that's always sort of been Atelier's thing. Atelier's thing has is, is never been sort of exploring an entire world it's always been exploring a relatively small region of a world and sort of getting to know the people there and what the different towns are doing and what their specialisms are and that sort of thing so yeah that 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 sort of approach has stayed fairly constant throughout the whole series 
Okay. That's one that I definitely wanted to check out, but just haven't really got around to. And I also have this really bad habit of trying to choose games that aren't necessarily the more popular ones in a series. <laughs> so I, I've always had my eye on the DS one. I forget what it's called. Atelier, Atelier Annie, Alchemist of Sarah Island. Oh, yeah. That one's like a remake of one of the original PlayStation 1 versions, I think. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know that. So that's been on my list of eventually, but <laughs> I have a friend that makes fun of uh, my game plans these days and calls it the 10-year plan because <laughs> I always have like grand ambitions for everything, but I only get to them like three years later. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm the same, but... I mean, I, I, I tend to play things with a mind to, to writing about them, so it, it tends to take me quite a long time to get through a game, but I do it in order to get some articles out of them. So, yeah, I've got a lot, lot of stuff on my shelves that I'm not going to get to for maybe five or six years at this point, but I, I've got them. <laughs> they're, they're ready and waiting yeah. for me. <laughs> I bought uh, three copies of Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy for a project that uh, has been sitting there for like, two years now so <laughs> <laughs> i definitely understand that um cool well yeah thanks thank you again for your time pete yeah no problem coming on the show um if you can you know just kind of give another quick rundown of your your website you have a extensive amount of materials i've definitely seen you floating around for a while and i've been on your website and you have a lot of content so for, for for those unfamiliar, I've I've I sort of have a background of uh, I've done a few years in sort of the professional side of things. So you might have seen my work on GamePro and US Gamer in the past. Uh, after I left US Gamer, I started Moe Gamer as sort of a means of carrying on writing about the games that I love. So I've been doing it for about five years now. So there's I I, I checked the other day. I think there's uh, I've covered over four hundred games now, and there's about fifteen hundred articles on the site. So plenty for you to explore. Uh, that's at moegamer.net. Uh, I've also got a YouTube channel uh, as well, which you can find a link to on Moe Gamer. And on there, I do uh, a combination of things. I do some uh, video readings of some of my articles. Uh, I also do some Let's Plays on currently the Warriors series and the Final Fantasy series. And I also do a series of retro-focused videos on there called Atari A to Z, where I look at Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, Atari 2600, and Atari 5200 games as well. So if you're into that side of things as well, do be sure to check those out as well. How far are you into Final Fantasy at this point? Uh, I'm probably about three quarters of the way through Final Fantasy 2 at the minute. So um, Oh, you got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, way to go, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, uh, I've played every mainline Final Fantasy at this point, so I'm always interested in hearing people's Final Fantasy opinions. Yeah, I, I've, I've played most of them, but I haven't finished 5 and 6 before. So they, 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 that was sort of the main motivation for me. But I thought I've been meaning to play th all through, through them all in sequence for quite a while now, so I may as well make some videos out of it. So, yeah, it's, it, it's slow going, but uh, I'm going to get there if eventually <laughs> how about final fantasy 11 <laughs> oh yeah I, I i've actually already started on final fantasy 11 i've, I've pre-recorded yeah. a bunch of episodes of that just in case they decide to suddenly take the game down halfway through but yes. uh, yeah i'm going to do 11 and 14 in there as well because no one ever covers those ones in the perspective of the, in the entire series retrospective so and a lot yeah, of people i know who played through 11 storyline say it's one of their favorite final fantasy so i think it's important to acknowledge it has its ups and downs i've played through the entire thing um and yeah there's like chains of promethea fantastic uh, -huh. yeah. uh chester argon has some like good characters and stuff um but yeah anyways this isn't a final fantasy 11 podcast <laughs> don't get me talking about this but i'm glad you're playing it yeah it's hard to get people to pay attention to that game um i'm a big like i played it for like five years so 
I was a big fan of that game. So glad you're taking time to look at it. I hope your readers and, and listeners <laughs> like it as well. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you again. Yep. And as for my site, it's the usual stuff. Uh, Monday, I have podcasts going up at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, and then Thursdays, I do my stream at 7, a, or 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. In terms of new video content, I had the Shinmu 3 quick play up on the site. So if you want to go check that out, you can. Uh, basically, just do a quick walkthrough of my impressions of Shinmu 3. And uh, hopefully, coming up soon, we'll have the Atokadol video, which, if you don't know, is basically a uh, Konami arcade rhythm game. Uh, while it's in Japan, I got a chance to play a good chunk of it. And I also was able to capture some footage and stuff, too. So, so looking forward to putting a, I guess, a review together for that. Uh, and I'm expecting that to probably come out early April. And that's on onecontrolreport.com. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Pete. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Thank you. And I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.